0: Coming up shortly, Arnab answers all your questions in an Ask Arnab special. And uh, this is episode 86 of Attention Plus with Arnab Ray. Also, this week on other podcasts, what, WhatsApp Geeks discusses the sad state of the Google Pixel and lots more. And Bin John has four English horror movies. And uh, horror is something our host knows quite well. And I have a feeling he probably would not approve of my taste in in that genre. So here's oh, your host oh. Arnab. Hey Arnab. Hello, hello. Since you have mentioned English horror movies, what were the four horror movies again? You know what? This is kind of like a, a go, a going home with your answer question paper back home, knowing that your dad is going to ask you, okay, what were the answers to each one? So I'm kind oh. of... Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned this to Raj as well before we recorded that Arna for sure is going to ask for this and uh, uh, okay, uh, first of all I have been told that I have very bad uh, taste in horror, so mine were this movie called uh, uh, Ready or Not and the other one was this movie called The Ritual I don't know if you have seen okay. either of them
1: I haven't seen Ready or Not but I think I have seen The Ritual um, but none of them are particularly like well known and no, which is, which is okay. Are. Which is okay, but yeah, the, if, if I had to mention, if I had to give a list of uh, top ten, I haven't again. I haven't seen. That's it an before. episode
0: by itself. In fact, yeah, that, that should be an episode by itself.
1: Yes, so I can I can mention ten horror movies which I liked, but. Let, I think we have enough for today. So today's episode is going to be a question uh, episode. Uh, we do this from time to time. And I had solicited questions on Twitter um, with using the hashtag Ask Arnab. Again, I, I, over the week, over the months, I want to reclaim my, my name as Arnab and not just Arnab Ray or Arnab, not the other Arnab, but Arnab. Because uh, I, I'm sick and tired of explaining to people that I'm not Arnab Goswami and I even come to feel apologetic for it sometimes. That oh my goodness, I'm not Arnab Goswami till I understand. Wait, why am I? So ask arnab is the hashtag. Um, if you have even more questions that you want to ask me, not that we will be able to answer all the questions. This is these are the. I haven't. We got a whole lot of questions this time on on this episode. I mean, the last time I was asked this question was joint entrance examination 1995. So <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> I don't think I did particularly well there either. So, all right so let's start with the questions
0: yeah but uh, you did have an appeal to make right before we start yes yes
1: so um i i hope all of our listeners are aware of the massive cyclone that hit bengal this is i mean as if we are as if we have not enough problems on our hand with covid-19 not showing any signs of relenting um, bengal and odisha were hammered hammered by cyclone of the kind that this region which is actually used to cyclone so this is not something which is unprecedented in terms of what it was but in this terms of its scale intensity and i think also coming on the back of what has been an extraordinary situation in india as well as in the world it has absolutely devastated um, devastated in a way I think more personal than many of us who were privileged to be in the city. So we normally don't see cyclones of this sort. So when we were growing up, cyclones were things that used to happen in South 24 Pergunas or in the Sundarbans, which are most closer to the ocean, uh, to the Bay of Bengal. While All we got were severe rains, maybe flooding. But this time, the, the, the consequences were so severe that it actually came home to many of the privileged elite who stay in Calcutta, people like us. So for the first time, we saw what cyclones can truly be. We've seen cyclones, we've seen trees being uprooted, but we haven't seen all trees being uprooted. We haven't seen um, statues being overturned and broken into smithereens. We haven't seen that. We've maybe one or two, but not all. We haven't seen destruction of this scale of power being gone for days of, uh, this kind of disruption, even in Calcutta is unprecedented and, uh, the economic damage wrought by this cyclone on top of everything that COVID 19 has brought has essentially brought this place to its knees. So I encourage all of you uh, who listen to contribute now as to where you should contribute to it. Um, it depends on, uh, you know, it depends on many things I contributed to, um, ASHA for Education for two reasons. One was that they were the first persons to actually have a Facebook uh, It's on my timeline, just hours after this whole thing happened. They were one of the first organizations to have a page for donation. And it's really very convenient to donate through Facebook for all of us who are outside the country. And in some places, you have to have an Aadhaar card to donate. So this this place, you just put your credit card in and Facebook takes care of the, of the rest. So that's why I donated. Also, because despite some of the concerns about ASHA's politics, I have interacted with ASHA for Education volunteers. And no matter what you have to say about some of the politics of some of their founders, the fact is ASHA for Education is, um, is run by volunteers, many of whom I've personally known over the years who are graduate students in different US universities, who no matter what you may think of their politics, or you may not agree with them, but one thing you have to admire is the dedication that they have um, to helping people. And one of the things that I find is lost in these polarized times is the fact that if you don't like somebody's politics you end up hating everything about that person from the books they write from what they say including the work they do and for me even there are many movies there are many filmmakers whose politics i don't agree with but that does not seep into my appreciation or lack of appreciation of what they make or in this case of people who i know um despite what they might uh, what they might believe politically, I do know that if I donate to them, this money will reach the people who it is supposed to reach. And I also do not in any shape or form doubt their own dedication to helping people. That I have seen personally. I've, Asha has done great work. I have personally been, I haven't been a member of Asha in that sense. So when I was a graduate student, we had another organization in the in, in Stony Brook, which was not Asha. It was called India focus group but we used to uh, work with ASHA because we were not a big organization but I have you know, I, I can't say enough for the dedication of ASHA volunteers so that's why I was perfectly comfortable donating to them though I understand there might be some questions about their politics but in these days and times I honestly don't care for the politics of uh, the, the organization as long as help reach, reaches the proper people and in the quickest possible time. For me, that is the most important thing at this point of time. So okay. again, I urge all of you uh, to please consider donating in whatever, whatever charity, whatever thing that you need know, could be in form of cash, it could be in form of just going out and helping people. So however you want to help, however it's possible for you to help, I request that you do so.
0: All right, so... Uh Let's. I'm going to start off with a kind of a ease, easy one. This is typically a typically a, an interview question, right? Job interview question. So Abhishek Chanda is asking, uh, asks, Where do you see India and West Bengal in the next 10 years? I hope he doesn't mean geographically.
1: Yes, <laughs> I guess it will still be a part of India no matter what Mamata Banerjee might want it to be, but uh. I don't know. I don't think that in 10 years it will be fundamentally different from what it is today. I don't think that the mythical Achse Din or Ram Laji or anything will ever come, at least not within 10 years. I don't also think that it will be a reflection of, of fascist Germany. So I don't I don't accept the extremes uh, that are uh, put forward by supporters of on both ends of the spectrum. As a centrist myself, um, I think that it will remain where it is pretty much. And whatever good or bad that will happen to it will be a reflection of what good and bad things are happening in the rest of the world. So if the world does well, it will do better. If the environment goes down the shithole, it will go down the shithole. And that will be really where, and we've seen with COVID-19 that increasingly um, we have reached a new stage in 2020 where now we are more worried about, less worried about, external enemies or internal enemies. And it's, it's, it's pathetic that our news channels still hammer on imagined enemies where, you know, they may be enemies, you know, Pakistan might definitely is an enemy. There are internal forces, but in terms of uh, the kind of harm and in terms of the consequence they can have in our daily lives, they are dwarfed. They're actually dwarfed by the environment and diseases like COVID-19. So, This is a new normal, Um, how India does and how Bengal does will ultimately be mostly a function of how we react to this. I don't think it is a function of whether BJP will form a Sarkar in Bengal or Mamata Banerjee will keep ruling. I don't think those will have a significant effect on the daily lives of people. I think pretty much everything will remain the same. So that's the short answer to the question. And the long, uh, the the actual answer is, you know, when interview questions, I don't know, this this like, what what are your greatest weakness kind of questions? <laughs> right. Yeah, I I love to work, I love to work too much, and I, <laughs> yes, and I, you never can say what the actual answer is. Is that I steal office supplies and I sleep at work? So that's my biggest weakness. Nobody gets a job if they say the truth. <laughs>
0: So, uh, Nimit, Ra- Nimit Rajdev, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He has a couple of interesting questions. I'll start with the second one, where uh, he he asks you whether do you see any positives coming out of this pandemic for India and the US, which you kind of touched upon line last week when you spoke about work from home and all, but anything else yes. you want to expand? Positives,
1: yes, that's, that's a definite positive is that um, I think companies will who were reluctant in adopting work from home, again, I don't think that it is going to be a full 100% work from home, but limited work from home. I think after these few months, they will see, hey, you know what, it works. It does. It's not as bad as we thought it would be. So that I believe in, maybe not immediately, but this will see a move in the next few years to more pervasive work from home. And as I've said before, I think that this is a necessity, not just from the point of view of your work-life balance. But I think from the point of view of environment, the fact is that the current traffic patterns of so many people driving to work and then driving back from work every day relentlessly is not something that our Earth can anymore bear without consequences like COVID-19. Again, COVID-19 is not caused by environment, but I think that this should have shown people what an environmental catastrophe looks like. In the sense that, you know, the U.S. which spends millions to billions of dollars on protecting itself is actually at, is fares worse than India. Which, despite what people think, you know, that there's no, there's no bandho nobody cares, actually has done in terms of his disease. I'm not saying in terms of the migrant crisis, because that's a very specific thing to India. It's not something which happens in the U.S. There aren't people from, there aren't, you know, millions of people from Alabama, for instance, in Los Angeles. I mean, that that problem isn't here. So, if it was, then it would have been the exact same thing. Because it's not that the U.S. itself also has prepared for people migrating, but in India, because of the way, um, because of the gross asymmetry in development, that parts of the country are way more developed than others, that that this is a very specific problem that the Indian government both at the center and at the states, did not plan for and have handled abysmally. There is no justification in this day and age for what has happened. And I think the blame must lie equally with the state governments, no matter which political party rules it, and of course the central government, that they failed to plan for this. And no matter how you try to justify this, or this, is a, this is a disease which you have never seen before, there's no reason why... From the day that the lockdown was announced, there could not have been a plan uh, to use the military if necessary, or to have extraordinary measures in place, or even to delay a lockdown by a few days to allow. I'm not saying that everybody could have gone home, but to m- make sure that a significant people could have gone home. There is there's really no, there's no really excuse for that.
0: True. Varun Mahajan, I think uh, he asked a question which you uh, answered last week. So Varun asks, "Do you think an unintended positive consequence of uh, COVID nineteen will be a larger participation of women in workforce?" Which I guess you 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 did mention that last week. Yes, uh, I did that.
1: I think that you know, work from home is not just a question of, you know, the environment is there, but it allows it allows women, it allows uh, people who have uh, disabilities. You know, it, it levels the playing field for them. Uh, it, it, it allows people who have um, not just women, but people who have, uh, you know, single parents, um, people who have sick parents, people who just cannot stay at work after a, certain pe- after a certain time. It just allows them to go home and yet not have their career aspirations be compromised. Uh, in this day and age, there is no reason why. People should have to, uh, you know, productive people who produce should have to have their careers compromised because they have responsibilities at home that require them to be at home at certain periods of time. Um, I think this will, again, this this is one of the happy concomitants of working at home. But coming to your previous question as to how will the work world be better? I think one of the re- things that the world will be better for is at least I hope that um, my daughter's generation, I think we are too old to stop thinking in the binaries that we have grown up thinking about. I think at least I feel I'm too old to fundamentally change my thinking, no matter how much I might virtue signal on social media. But I am the person I was in the 90s with some minor changes, of course. But at least for my daughter growing up, I think she will realize that the biggest enemy... To our existence is not another fellow human being, it is nature, it are things that we do not see and that our civilization is not built to deal with. There were times when the, biggest, uh, when the biggest threat vectors were human beings themselves, but we have reached a stage in our progress in which that is no longer the case. We like to pretend that is the case because it arouses our passion. Because people um, love to believe that we have a Hitler or a, you know, if, if, if Modi is Hitler and, you know, every minorities are Osama bin Laden, you know, everybody has their favorite enemy, which they look, in, look to in terms of historical terms. But the pragmatic perspective is none of these people are really our form, even a small part of our existential crisis. It is... Things which we can see only with a microscope or things that are so huge uh, like nature that we see them every day, but we don't see them. I think this realization, especially to a generation like my daughter's generation, which will really have to deal with this problem. Maybe I'm lucky enough and maybe most of the listeners here are lucky enough that they might escape having to deal with this new world where who's against which these threats against which we have no defenses but at least my daughter's generation are growing up seeing this. I hope that will enable them to be better soldiers for the battle that is to come.
0: At least in India, Arnab, I, I, you you know that as a country, we don't recognize the concept of personal space. So for the first time, you know, since in the last two months, people have had to give a personal space. I think there's increased awareness of people being able to breathe so I hope this continues. Honestly, I don't have high hopes that it will continue, but uh, I i just hope it does. And that's one of the positive outcomes, at least in India. People- so basically, people are not uh, breathing into your face. There's a Britney Spears song, which I don't know if you've heard. It's says
1: breathe on me. <laughs> but, so at least that. They're not literally doing that anymore. But I'm pretty, I mean, again, for me, intruding on your personal space is not just, at least in Indian terms, it's not just somebody getting in just like physical. right in your face. It's more like making judgments of your personal choices. I don't why are you not having kids? Yeah, <laughs> so, why are you not having kids? Why have you gained weight? Things like that. I don't think that's going to go away even if they're six feet apart from me.
0: True. Uh, M. Sharma has a very interesting question. He, he wants to know whether you're writing a book about your time in the times of COVID. Let me also uh, uh, add on to this. As a writer, do you think this lockdown would be a good setting for a horror uh, novel? Um, see, anything can
1: be okay. First of all, uh, am I planning to write anything on my COVID days? No, I don't, I, I don't think my experiences during the COVID days is any significantly different from my experiences on non COVID days in the sense that I don't go out (laughs) and I don't have friends. So um, as a matter of fact, I'm kind of glad that I don't have to justify to my wife why we are not going out this weekend. It's COVID honey. So um, I don't think that my life fund when I am personally not a person who actually enjoys uh, um, human interaction much. Uh, I do enjoy human interaction across a certain barrier. So I do enjoy this podcast. I do enjoy um, talking on Twitter or on Facebook, but judge me as much as you want. I don't really, it's just me. I possibly, because of too much of this online interaction, I've kind of become, I don't find like face-to-face interactions, particularly um things that I look forward to. And I think the main reason for that is I feel that I don't have any control over a face-to-face interaction. If I feel bored by a conversation, if I just want to stop talking, there's no way I can ask that person to leave at this point of time. Um, and in the, 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 asynchronicity of online communication where you can type a tweet and just not listen to the replies for the time that it takes you to kind of get back to that space. I really enjoy that level of control in my social interactions. That's also the reason why I don't like talking on the telephone also, because of the exact same reason that, you know, telephonic conversation is synchronous communication. For those of us who have a formal methods background, you know exactly what I mean, synchronicity and asynchronicity. I prefer asynchronous communication. I I like my messages to be buffered. uh, So uh, I don't think that fundamentally there is... um, I I, I don't think there's anything different in my life that I would write anything about COVID times. But in general, I would like to write an autobiographical novel at some point of time. Of course, COVID won't come into it. And again, it won't be an auto. I mean, my life is not interesting enough to write about. Also, um, the last thing I want to do is actually piss off people by writing about them when it's very recognizable who they are. So I do intend to... At some point of time right now I'm off writing novels but I'm not saying that I won't revisit this at some future point of time maybe once uh, all of this Modi thing dies down and uh, maybe I will but anyways but I do want to write a you know a human interest novel about somebody who you know, somebody like me but in you know, of course there will be aspects any novel that you write ultimately there are parts of yourself in it whether not only those who know me well will be able to identify parts of me in all my novels. I hope you don't identify any of me in the mind, of course, but there are parts of me in the mind in terms of some of the insecurities that some of these people have, but that's 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 inevitable. I An author definitely puts a part of himself uh, or herself in anything they write. So no, there will be no nothing, nothing special happened to me during COVID actually mm-hmm. for me to uh, it didn't change me in any, any any shape or form, at
0: least not yet. Okay, couple of uh, I'm going to club the next couple of questions. They are kind of similar. So we've got KK Pelikan asking you, uh, how can a five-year-old kid scale up in reading? And uh, Abhishek, uh, sorry, Nimit Rajdev also asks, uh, what has been your experience with kids' education during quarantine? And any tips for parents who have no prior experience in homeschooling and are now being forced to do so. Very interesting ones.
1: Yes. So this is a very interesting questions. And again, I cannot claim to be an expert on, uh, like Dr. Spock on uh, on, on being up a child. But see, the main thing, at least for me, at least the way I understand it, is time. It's not a question of, it's just the amount of time you spend with your child. It's ultimately, it's a function of that. And nowadays with both parents working and and with uh, with nuclear families it is a it is a problem now to give your child that amount of time that the the propensity is to give them the tablet or the phone and say amuse yourself and they are definitely things that you can amuse yourself with so they, these are very very they as all of us know they're they are great uh, black holes of time and attention they, they really suck you in but Ultimately, what happens with um, spending time on a phone and or on a tablet or any kind of interaction that is outside books is that they're they're just so, um, they're so pleasing. It's almost like, you know, being on drugs. Um, And again, this is psychological studies have shown that our interactions on Facebook, they they are addictive and they satisfy every every checkbox of what an addiction actually is. So when you, when somebody is five years old and if you expose them to too much of, again, some of it is essential. I believe for instance, my daughter is kind of a digital native in a way that I am not. So over these last few weeks, I decided to play shadow of war, which I don't know. It's been like years since I've played a game. So I had bought this game, uh, years ago, actually when it came out. And so I decided to start because my Xbox, uh, Xbox one has been lying there unused virtually. So I started playing it and my daughter sits beside me. She loves watching me play. And I see that, you know, my daughter is seven years old and she gets things that I just don't. So there was a time, you know, they have this kind of this thing called wraith Vision where, you know, you press a button and you get to see things differently. Like you can see people that you cannot normally see. And I was trying to like, from a distance, trying to, snipe them using an arrow and i sometimes it wasn't working and i thought there was a bug and she the first time she saw it she said that person is behind a wall that's why it's not working and i thought yeah that's the reason why it's because it's basically saying if i shoot i won't hit that person but i can still see that person because i'm using red vision so there are these these things that i see my daughter picks up on that i just even this age i just cannot And that happens because I think she's been spending a little bit more time with her tablet than necessary. But coming back to your question as to um, books, I think the the most important thing that I see that works for me is to make books interesting. So this is something which my parents also used to do when I was a child. So it's not just a question of here's a book, go and read it. Because ultimately for a child, the motivation is not reading the book. A book is a fairly boring thing. It's what she gets out of the book. And I'm not saying, you know, if you get this book, you get a five star bar. No, I'm saying that that book is usually a topic that we then go and discuss, because for the child, I think one of the most important things is to engage with your parent. Of course, as they grow older, they don't want to engage with their parent. That's a separate thing. But when you're five or when you're seven, your world is your parents. So your approval, any you, know, you want approval from your parents. You want to engage with your parents. You want to feel as if you are at their level. So, And you don't like to be spoken to as a child. You don't want them to be condescending to you. My, my daughter is, of course, she's very articulate. So she says, you know, don't laugh just because I'm your daughter. I can, She says it now. And I can see the kind of laughter. Ha <laughs> ha, don't do that. If you don't feel it's funny, don't laugh. So, um, so, and whether they articulate it in this way, my daughter didn't articulate this it like this a few years ago, but now she does. She's seven. So for me, I think the main thing is if, if you want them to read a book, um, no matter what the book is, you have to spend the time to engage with them about the book. You need to ask them what did they what did they like about the book? What they, they they didn't like about the book? Was this book one of the things that kids love is comparison? Is this book better than this book? Is it worse than this book? Is this character more powerful than this character? So don't say, you know, what is it that makes Harry Potter special? No. Is Harry Potter better or is Hermione better? So you know, phrase it in simple binary terms. And you'll see that not only is your child more interested in reading, but she does more. She does, it's not just a question of reading to learn the story, it's a question of um, active reading. So, my daughter is now, despite me telling her not to think, why don't you read other books? She's now rereading all the Harry Potters again. She finished reading all of them when she was five. Now she's reading them again, and I said, "Why reading the same book again?" She says, "Now I have a better understanding of what the book is because I'm older. I finished the book. I know how it ends. So now, what? She, now when she's reading it, she has, and I and I understand why she's doing it. If she's now getting into, she's now understanding the structure of the book. She's now understanding, you know, the character. She's doing a much more." active reading than she did when she was five when her focus was purely on the story what happens next now she's going and looking at the small things that are foreshadowed and she's understanding okay this is foreshadowed in this book it will happen in the fifth book okay snape you know says this says that snape we know exactly what he is and so he now knows all of these things so now see this is what leads to a more you know mature understanding of um, so my daughter is also reading at this point Sherlock Holmes. Now she doesn't like Sherlock Holmes that much. Why does she read Sherlock Holmes? Well, she reads Sherlock Holmes because she knows that I read Sherlock Holmes, the unabridged version, when I was her age. That was I didn't have Harry Potter in those days. So that was the first big book that I read unabridged when I was in uh, class one. Was uh, was Sherlock Holmes, the unabridged Sherlock Holmes, which every Bengali family in those days had. She she's read quite a bit of it. But I also understand that the English and some of the themes, um, she's finding it difficult to understand. She's, diffi- she's finding it difficult to visualize London. So I actually, so in order for her to get into it more, I sat down and watched with her some of the Jeremy Brett. I don't know if you've seen, but they're on YouTube. The Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes versions, which are actually picturized in this world. So the first Sherlock Holmes book that she read was uh, the Red Headed League. So. Rather than her reading Redheaded League, I first sat down with her. We watched that forty-five minute episode, this old British BBC episode of Jeremy Brett playing Sherlock Holmes, and it was like much more action based. And she saw that, not the new one, of course, um, the, the the old one, which is much more faithful to the to the source material. And then once she saw it, then I asked her, okay, now go and read the book. So again, in order for you to, and one thing that. You know my wife and i try to avoid right now is just we don't want to expose her to let's say mature topics so again some of it is inevitable even in some of the disney movies they have you know stuff that again it's uncomfortable in this you know when somebody's somebody seven years old to understand some of this these things so i want to keep her kind of away but I also don't want to. I mean, I also understand that there are some things that she will discover by herself, she won't talk to her parents about it because this is exactly the way I learned things. So while I am a friend, I also know that there are some things that she will not discuss with me. I know that she won't discuss with me and I, I should not also go in and try to discuss them with her because I know that there's some things and I, I understand that as she grows old, this world of hers, this secret world will will grow. And one of the things that parents get wrong is they try to step into that secret world, not realizing that they themselves had a secret world when they were growing up, and they wouldn't have appreciated their parents stepping into it. So it, it's it, it's a tightrope. I, I'm not going to lie to you, and I don't think I have all the answers. But for me, it's 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 important. I think the most important thing to inculcate, you know, reading habit is, you know, if they want to, you know, be on their tablet, play games. I mean, we let my daughter do it. I mean, it's again. You know, what her friends in school doing? If we say, no, you cannot do it, then that's, that's basically an open call to rebellion. So, of course, you have to go with the times. You have to go with what her friends are doing to an extent. But you also have to explain, look, you know, we are not your friends. You know, we have the conversation. You know, this person in school does this. You know, you know what? That's very good. It's their parents. It's their family. We are not that family. So we have our own ways of doing things. So yeah, we'll do some of that, but we'll also do some of this. And she does enjoy. So today, for instance, before I came onto this show, um, I we were watching old Hindi songs, and then I um, showed her uh, that "Kitne Admi The" scene from Sholay and once that was done i spent about 5 minutes explaining to her why this scene is so good so i started with you don't see gabbar singh in the beginning you only see his shoes
0: and it moves
1: up and you see the hear the sound of the belt on the rocks she so said what's so special about the belt sound of the belt on the rocks so i said well the director ramesh pip in those days went to london to get this sound recorded so she said what's so big deal about that i said okay i understand that there's nothing big deal to you right now but in 1975 when this movie came out the year that i was born um this this was people saw this on a huge screen okay um, in those days there was not this level of sound system or anything and the sound of a belt of a metal buckle scraping on a rock is at that scale it is a and this music that goes plays behind it it's strange music. It's almost a discordant, arrhythmic music, almost like a scream with that thing. It kind of creates this effect that there is, this is a rough place with no grass, with nothing that comes out of the soil. There is nothing which is growing out of the soil. It's just people robbing other people. That's all that there is in this place. So it shows that this person, like, you know, like any kind of animal, you know, you have that animals like rattlesnakes. They rattle like that, right? She yeah. said yes because she's seen rattlesnakes here. So he is in a way a creature of these rocks. That he is a human being, but he's not quite. And so then it pans up, and you see his face, and and he she asks me, "Is this a very evil person in real life?" I said, "No, no. This person actually, he was uh, you know, he was not supposed to do this role." Every time they shot this, these kinds of sequences, he would become like an emotional mess because he was a, he's he's a very different person. He's a very timid, very nice person. And we had to play this really evil person. And it affected him psychologically having to play this person. So, you know, this, this is, this is a great acting. And so look at the way the camera moves up. And then of course that, that whole bullet scene, she sees it. And I say, well, what, what is he trying to say here? you know at the end when he says that and, and there were subtitles he doesn't understand hindi jo so what is he saying he's saying that these people are dead see he, he first says he's going to kill them then he puts these guns to their heads and somebody one of you one of my audience missing you, you let your daughter watch these violent things well, have you seen cartoons <laughs> cartoons are very very violent so um so You know, he puts these guns to their heads and ultimately they're all saved, but they're all terrified by the time that finishes and they all start laughing because they feel that they're all, you know, going to get out of this. And at the end, what he says is that in the place they are, in order to be part of his gang, the moment you are scared, you are effectively dead. So the fact that they didn't die when he went click, 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 They were actually dead at that point of time because they lost their nerve. And so when he shoots them after that, he's basically saying they were already dead anyways, uh, the moment they lost their nerve. So by doing this, he's establishing the kind of a person he is. He's not, they don't show him doing a lot of evil things. By the time these three minutes are over you were terrified of this person because he is not behaving in a way. Before this, bad people in Hindi movies, they were kind of bad, but they're also a little funny. Um, But this was a person, there was absolutely no fun in this person at all. He's not a funny person. So this is, and again, why did I spend this time? Why am I, I don't expect her to go and watch Shole? But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to and I do any, again, this with parenting, it's something stick and some things don't, but I'm trying to get her to understand what is good art and what makes something special and what's just something run of the mill. So she writes poems, you know, I say, okay, wait, your poem starts off great, but then it kind of becomes, you know, where are you taking this? So. In short, and I, I think I've dragged this answer for enough. But because this is a cause, you know, this is something which I'm very passionate about as a parent, is to know how to. Because I do want my daughter to grow up not just as somebody who's, you know, good at studies. Of course, every of all parents want this, but I also want her to have a sense of what's, you know, this are finer things in life for her to, you know, what however she chooses to express herself, but for her to have a form of expression. Um, and again, as I said, the thing with, when, when you, when your child is young is you, you try different things. It's not that they will appreciate a lot of, like my parents, they sent me to art school to draw. Again, it wasn't, I did something, you know, one of, some of my stuff got exhibited in some exhibitions and stuff, but it was not something which I felt really passionate about. I didn't really enjoy drawing. I didn't enjoy painting. And so I just kind of gave it up after some point of time. I did like writing, and I did love reading, and I love movies, and so that I have kind of. So the, the, I think that the you know when when you have a child who is like, I think the main thing with parents is they should try different things and see what what interests their child. And the most important thing is don't just give them something and say go and read it. There has to be a reward, and that reward has to be time with you, time with you engaging on that topic that you ask them to do. I think that. Is the biggest motivation from them. Of course, that will all change once they become teenagers. Then, if I say that, you know, here's this, and after this, you can talk to your father about this, then it be exactly <laughs> the opposite thing. They will
0: Time do Time away from uh, parents would, would be the reward in that case.
1: Yes. So that in that those days I will definitely change my reward system. But till now, this is the reward system that works for me. At least she's 10, she
0: at least still she's a teenager. Kind of a merging of two questions we had in the past, uh, continuing on this trend and also about uh, how COVID would would be affecting the workplace. Uh, Kid Twist uh, uh, wants to know, as an academician, how do you see coronavirus impacting education at various levels? So, I mean, what would be the future of education? And uh, he asks, uh, I'm assuming it's a he, would we see a push towards apprenticeship being an industry route rather than the traditional education? As many people are forced to suspend education due to disposable loss of disposable income.
1: So, the thing that I, again, I, um, I kind of, uh, I think it would be too ambitious to say that this would fundamentally change education. But I think this will be, you know, why do you get a college education? I think this will people will start. Um, now that most universities, at least in the U S are not going to be having face to face classes till definitely till 2021. I think people are going to, and they're doing that, they are saying, why are we paying this amount of tuition? Why are we paying 20,000 bucks for a year when we're basically sitting at home and doing an university of Phoenix, which is like a university of Phoenix is like a low rent, uh, online course thing, which has been there for decades. Um, So why are we, you know, if, if, because people went to the universities for the university experience, Um, they like to say it's to converse with professors to, you know, you know, imbibe the academic atmosphere, but mostly to drink and do drugs and, you know, do kinky stuff uh, at the dorms. But ultimately, all of that stuff is gone right now. And so many people are saying, well, why are we paying for the college experience. What is it, If when, why am I paying Stanford fees to stay at home and take a Stanford course online? I mean, that is, not, that is not what, I mean, I can't pay like 30K for this. So I think people will soon realize that universities are not there for the experience. And that it will also lead, because universities, at least in the US, um, are extremely bloated in terms of their overhead expenditure in terms of the bureaucracy that they have and in terms of the value they provide most of most of the universities now at least the bigger universities no matter what they want to teach you their focus is not on teaching because of the endowments which are basically donations that they have tuition is a very small part and they don't really care for their students i mean teaching is normally delegated to Temporary professors, associate adjunct professors, and like really lowly paid glorified tutors. There's no other way of putting it. The actual faculty, they do research because the universities want them to bring in money. So I think with COVID, what I would like to happen, I don't know if it will happen, is ultimately this hypocrisy will be put to rest. All the quote-unquote big research universities will finally drop their teaching component and just become research universities. They will just basically become research labs, which will be tough for them because they will lose a lot of revenue. And other places which do not offer a a face-to-face Stanford experience, they will just teach. So, and people will realize that there is not really a huge value addition to going to the university other than the other, like more incorporeal uh, college band, that kind of other than that experience, or there is really not a lot of educational pluses that you get by actually going to universities. Again, we 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 always we this none of these are original thoughts, and people have been saying this for ages. But COVID has forced people to actually experience what it is, and this is the same as work from home. It's not an original thought that work from home is a good thing, and it's and not working from home is not sustainable. But once this happens for a semester or two, it's only then people will say, Hey, it's not that bad actually. It's quite good, and that will in turn catalyze and accelerate a move towards what I have always believed to be inevitable, which is the death of research universities as centers of teaching.
0: So without the interaction among students, essentially what you're saying is uh, whether you go to a university or whether you're learning through Khan Academy, it, it kind of evens out.
1: It kind of evens out because you see for some things like MBA, for instance, and I, I we've spoken about this before, the thing, you know, the, the value for your, that obscene amount that you pay to get an MBA from Harvard or Stanford, isn't really the stuff that you learn. It's the friends you make and the network you create. That is actually what you're paying for. So, but it's very, but, you know, in the interests of fair labeling of your goods and products, it's important that people understand what they're paying for. So it very well might be that to do an MBA, if you're paying like gazillion amounts of dollars that you, those things have happened face to face because you're ultimately not going there to learn. You're going there to make friends. Uh, but it is people know that okay, this, I'm paying this amount of money to go and make friends. Now, if you're doing a master's in computer science, where right. you, know, you don't really care for your friends, I don't think there's any loss of your learning experience by doing it online, by having online programming assignments, submitting it online. And if, honestly, that's been the way I've, I've myself taught, um, uh, classes for seven years. Uh, in, in in University of Maryland College Park. So, you know, I've seen that myself. This is not something which I mean, I've. been a student. I've been a teacher. So I'm I'm, I'm looking at it from both sides. And many times, I, I mean, my class was you know even in the middle, late 2000s, it was. Uh, people could come to the class, but there were few people who never came to class because all the things were video streamed live in those days. They were student. Give lectures in a studio, and there was one time when I couldn't attend class. I just went there, and for two and a half hours, I basically spoke to a empty room with two cameras on my face. Um, it was a little discomforting talking to an empty room. You feel like you are you can see dead people, kind of thing, but. I don't think for a student, it was a significant loss of their uh, experience, at least not significant enough to justify the $12,000 extra tuition they would have to pay uh, for a face-to-face class versus an online class. So I have seen that online classes and like courses with minimum interaction between professors and students work pretty well. Again, I don't think they would work in, there are some subjects perhaps in humanities where where maybe the class interaction is much more, you know, if you're you're trying to explain what existentialism is, or, you know, maybe there might be like, where you have to ask people and people will say something. And then in response, you say something, but for computer science, for engineering, where, you know, nowadays the word lectures is kind of deprecated. Nobody likes to go and listen to lectures, but there ultimately are lectures, and in, in, in U.S., they're not called lecturers. They're called associate professors. But, you know, it is lecturing. And I don't think there's, you know, you could just as well record it. Nowadays, there's so many sophisticated tools where even the question papers are automatically generated in some cases. I've actually seen demos where there are basically basic some, like, let's say, 10 problem templates, And there are automated programs which can generate hundreds of individual question papers, which where each of those 10 templates are used. But if you look at them, you will see that they are totally different questions. I'm glad this was not there when I was a student in Jazak University. (laughs) I'll I'll say that.
0: (laughs) There are a couple of questions about uh, this podcast. So I'm going to again give you both of them. First one is from Ramraj VIP, which is a brand of undergarments, if you're not aware, that's the handle. So uh, Ramraj VIP asks, do you think you'll dilute the brand value of your podcast by inviting people who you and many of your listeners don't agree with just to hedge against the possibility of the podcast being an echo chamber? Chamber. Then the, uh, similarly, along the same lines, we have Kanda actor asking you, uh, some days ago, you said your dream is to be a full-time writer. Isn't this podcast a distraction? Okay. The fact that they are asking this uh, on the podcast is kind of ironic, but <laughs> go ahead. Please. Okay. So let's
1: first answer the first question. So again, the point of this podcast, the, if I make this podcast uh, an know catering to the echo chamber then the very point of this podcast is lost from the day I started it the the point was that I do want to engage with people who are who are not part of the echo chamber and I and I and I I absolutely understand that that comes at a cost of viewership or audience in this case now it's a compromise that most people understand and they always go on the side of the echo chamber because ultimately everybody wants it's not just a question of money it's just that people want more people to listen to them Um, whether that's for money or that's just for the feel good it doesn't matter people just want more people to listen read whatever watch whatever they have done that's that's a basic thing i mean the biggest example is you know why do Why do cricket players have so much trouble retiring? Why does Dhoni have a trouble? Why does Dhoni have problem retiring? Sachin has a problem retiring. Sourav Ganguly has a problem retiring. Kapil Dev has a problem retiring. Why do all of them? Is it because of money? No. Is it because of fame per se? No, they have enough. I mean, they they will be equally famous once they have retired. No, it is just that feeling of being. Of, of go walking onto that field with hundreds of thousands of people chanting your name or there to watch you. It is that audience that they just cannot let go. So there is a natural propensity for us to cater to an audience. And the cheapest, easiest shot is to do an echo chamber An echo chamber to go as shrill as possible. You've seen that in the evolution of Arnab Goswami. But even in times of india he was he used to shout and he was and he was a blowhard but at least there was an attempt to balance there was an attempt to to be more or less fair you know again you could you could say he was biased on this but he was biased on that whatever it was he was a he used to shout he used in all of that is true there was a lot of theatrics there was a lot of like stage you know, showmanship whatever but his Incarnation on Republic TV is absolutely repugnant because it is just, it is just uh, essentially a troll with a megaphone and a television channel. That's what he has become. And he has become, why did he become that? Is he the same person? Maybe he is. Maybe it is, you know, maybe it is a lot of money that he has got, or maybe it's just that he wants a bigger audience. Maybe he he likes it. whatever it is. I cannot speak for him, but as a as a content provide producer myself, I am not immune to wanting exactly what an honourable Goswami wants or what somebody else wants. But the purpose of this podcast is one of the things that's that I have that, that I want to be, and I don't know if I will able if if I will continue to be able to be is to stay true to a few of my own principles. Now, Bengalis, we love to talk about principles. We love to kind of think of ourselves as Jesus Christ on on a cross. And I'm, I'm hardly that person at all. But there are some things which I would at least try to hold on to. And one of that principles is that I will do things my way rather than the way that I know that people want me to do in order to get an increased audience. So there are things which I haven't done, for instance, in my publishing career also, where it just made sense. For people to say, you know, now this is not just a question of writing. It's a business. So why don't you do it? But there are things which I just refuse to do. Because I felt that if I did that, then I won't be true to myself. If while trying to get what I want to get, and I won't say that I'm not ambitious, that I don't want those things. If I don't stay the person that I am, then it's somebody else who becomes famous. It's not me. So for, for the podcast also, one of the things I do not want to cater to people who agree with me or, you know, I, I want to talk to people who I don't agree with. I also don't want to talk to people who I do not agree with and who I know come from a point of view that is so repugnant to me personally that I don't want to give them a platform. You know, I, there's so, you know, it's a small, it's it's a, it's a small world. I want to talk to people who I believe, I they might not agree with me, but they do come from a perspective that I understand. I understand what they're saying. It's a not, not my perspective, but I understand that. I also understand that they have their own beliefs. They have their own prejudices, just like me, but that, that they're ultimately coming from a place of good intention. Just like I am. You may not agree with me, but I am not doing this because somebody is paying me to do. I'm not doing this because some party is slipping me a check or that somebody is promising that they will do this to my book. It has never been the case. Trust me. I have lost things because of my opinions, because of my, you know, because the fact that I haven't stopped saying what I believe needed to be said. So there are people like me. There are people like me. And again, I'm not saying that everybody, and even I don't say that I'm like totally 100% uncompromising on everything and that I'm... Totally said what I've always wanted to say without fearing for the consequences. There are obviously things which I haven't said, fearing for consequences because I do have a family, I do have a you know life. Maybe when I grow older and I like lose control of my bowels and everything else, I will then lose control of this and actually go full postal on social media if it exists those days. But that's to come. Um, But for now, I I, these the, the people I want to engage with are people who I believe come from a point of good faith, and for. And people who I have an amount of respect for. So that's also an important thing. Usually I like to call people who I admire in, in, in some shape or form. Again, I do not have to agree with. That's a vital part of what I'm trying to say. In these days, the people who you admire are obviously people who you 100% agree with. That's not the case with me. The People who I 100% agree with, who I do not admire at all. I absolutely do not like them even though I find myself agreeing with them on a lot of issues. And there are people who I do not agree with who actually fight with me on social media. But I do admire them. I do admire aspects of them. I, For some, I admire the way they write. For some, I admire the way they have carried themselves. For some, I admire the way they have built their own career. There are different things which, which I admire them for. Some people, you know, so... That's why for... Again, coming back to the question, it's very important that I call people who I believe I would like to talk to. And if that leads to a decrease in listeners, I mean, I would like listeners, but honestly, this is, I can't concern myself with that.
0: What was the second question? (laughs) The second one was whether the podcast is a distraction from being a full-time writer.
1: Yes. So for me, the fact is I have, you know, I do. You know, few years ago, uh, I would say around 2012. This was before my daughter was born in 2013. I became, um, as a person, I felt that um, that this was my time to kind of stick it up to the next level. Uh, that you know, I was here. I my Miha was released was a huge hit um, in terms of sales. Um, mine had just come out, and it was, you know, I got I just. You know I'm you know creative artist agency over here in LA you know they approached me to represent the book because they felt that it was an international book um, It was a very very original plot it, it went places in terms of you know being shown you know being sent to different people in Hollywood So again there was a lot of hope then in my life and I felt that you know it's happened. I have uh, you know I'm there I just need to stick on you know do the stuff. And then I'll, I'll get there. Um, again, this was before my daughter was born. This is 2012. Um, and so that point of time I started, like, I didn't want to write a blog. I didn't want, but I still forced myself because I thought, you know, I have to write, keep on writing blogs every few days in order for me to keep the audience engagement, even though I didn't want to, I just, you know, I just didn't feel like writing. And um, after some time, my daughter was born, other things happened, other things didn't work out. Honestly, if they had worked out, maybe I would have thought different. I thought, you know, what happened? I mean, I spent all these, you know, I I used to obsess over things like, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? Oh my God, if I'm, you know, I didn't, at that point of time, I didn't even want to do my like 24, the, the job that I do. I thought that for years, I thought this was like a temporary exile that someday i was going to become a full time author and you know writing movie scripts and stuff and you know none of this i would have to keep on doing this was just stuff that i was doing to keep food food, uh, food on the table before i became what i always wanted to become um, but then around that you know around 2013 2014 my daughter was born my responsibilities increased i realized that that's you know in order for me to get there i would have to make the kind of sacrifices that I just wasn't ready to make. I was just not ruthless enough. And some people manage to do it. You know, it, 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 brings, you know, fame brings in, this is a, this is a, you know, tired cliche, but it's true. If you, if you get, if you try to go to that level, you ultimately, it's, it's very difficult to do it with your family, with your family life remaining as it is without compromising severely on your relationships. It, 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 there is a time when it, it, it happens it just you're just not going to have enough time that's the going to be the problem your focus is going to be different you mm. cannot focus on taking it to the next level and be focused on your child and be focused on your on your wife and be focused on everything else it just doesn't matter. work like that. Something has to give at that point of time and I decided at that point of time that the dream that I had was going to be the thing that I had to give. And this was not an easy decision, but this was a decision which I felt was the most reasonable one to take. Because me being a Bengali, I'm a risk averse person. I just felt that (laughs) that was in any case such a risky, I mean, even after this, if I can't, you know, can't have mine become a movie or can't become a web series, you know, even after... Again, it sound might sound arrogant, but even after that ending of mine and even if it's just such a solid solid, solid story, even if that doesn't work out, then what honestly can? And I have a good life, I have a good family, I have I mean, why would I put that on the line for something as long a shot as this? which also, and this comes to the question, which also led me to question, should I even do something if I don't enjoy it? Because by that time I started, and again, when you grow old, when you're young, when you're not 30 yet, you kind of don't think that your life is ultimately coming to an end. That never enters your thought. But then after some time, and especially if you're a little an angsty person like I am, you know, a little introspective, a little, you know, for those of you who know me, very few of you know the kind of person I am. Once I realized that everything comes with an expiry date, I I said, you know, is this what I want to do if I was going to die tomorrow? Is this the last thing that I want to be doing tonight? If I knew that I was going to And no, not really. I don't want to, at this point of time, write a book. Because what... Why should I write a book? And what will, what will lead to it? On the other hand, I enjoy doing this podcast. I actually like talking into the air on this mic where I can't see you because I feel that I'm having a conversation with all of you, the best kind of conversation that I can ever have where you don't say anything and I keep on talking, which means I never get contradicted. I mean, how lovely is that? That never happens in real life. It <laughs> doesn't happen at work. It doesn't happen with your wife. It doesn't happen with your child. How awesome is that that I get to talk and I don't get interrupted. I don't get challenged. And so I love doing this. This is what I was made for. And if there's an audience for this, very good. After some time, if the audience doesn't grow or if I, tomorrow I might get bored of this and I won't do it at that point of time. Nothing then would convince me to do it, if I felt it was not worth it. Right now, I just don't feel that writing is worth it. You know, fiction writing in India isn't worth it. Who am I writing for? Which, who cares? That's important. You know, who cares? Do people sufficiently, I think people care for this podcast. I mean, the amount of engagements, the amount of comments I get, get every week, people do care for this podcast. They care about the opinions. They care that this podcast exists. And that makes me feel good. So again, for those of you who don't tell me that this podcast matters, please do because that's really the biggest reward. That's what keeps this going. Um, and if it doesn't matter to you, then that's good too. Don't let me know that. But uh, if it does, then don't just stay silent. And many people write, you know what? I've been reading your books and I've been reading your blogs for like the last 14 years, but I've never said anything. And I just, And my question is, why haven't you, man? And it usually comes, this context usually comes in, you suck. This is, this, this is usually the first paragraph of you suck, you know, but you've become so terrible of late. You've started doing this. You've started doing that. But you know, for the last 2004, I've been reading you and I'm a huge fan. How come I've never fucking heard of you for the last 15 years. You love me so much. God damn it! You love me so much, and you're coming to tell me you're, you're you're spending four paragraphs telling me how much I suck, and you haven't for the last fifteen years bothered to tell me that I have made a difference to you in any shape or form. So honestly, thank you, but shove it. Okay. Um <laughs> So again, I, I know I'm trying to, I'm trying to be funny here, but the fact is that. You know, if if whatever I do means anything, whether it be my books or whether it be whatever I do, you know, let me know. If I feel that there are sufficient number of people for whom my books matter, why? Of course I will I will start writing again. But I don't think that this podcast, first of all, this podcast, if I was writing a book, it's not that I'll say that you know the reason why I can't write a book is because I'm doing this podcast. God damn it, it takes a one hour of my week. That's it. So Uh, It's okay. I don't write a book. I'm not writing a book nowadays because I'm writing another book, which is, you know, cybersecurity, medical device, cybersecurity. That's the reason why I'm not writing a book. And the reason I don't actually enjoy writing the medical device, cybersecurity book, it seems like I'm always working. But the only reason why I write that is because I feel that there is some value, that there are some people who will appreciate. It's a very different crowd from the people who appreciate let's say the me app or mine, but a very different crowd crowd of people who haven't even heard of this side of me. But at least, you know, this is a, an international publisher coming up to me. You know, they're, they're being very polite, nice, you know. Uh, it, you know, this, this whole experience of dealing with publishers who only, who, like, who, who, who treat you like the way Indian middle class is teaching, treating migrant laborers in these days. That's how publishers treat you. So, you know, why would I spend after working 24-7, why would I even spend my time expending my precious moments when I can die tomorrow, even talking with these people? When the reason why they don't like me is not because I write crap, because they publish worse crap. They publish people who sell even less books than I do. The only reason they don't like me is because they think I'm pro-Modi. That is the only reason. So what am I even trying to show them? I mean, I will never get their approval. I will never get respect from them. So why should I even work with them? Why they're not even worth my friggin' time? That's why I don't write.
0: Okay, so as a change of pace, I mean, we we, uh, we do have too many questions to fit into one episode. So uh, yeah,
1: so we will split this up. I mean, again, I I don't want this to become like one huge, huge rant,
0: rant, but. <laughs> so um, I'm going I to rant uh, it give you a choice here, Arnab. Sure. Uh, when we wind on, do you want your last set of questions to be about uh, US politics, cricket, or uh, movies?
1: Movies. Let's do movies. Okay. We've been having too many serious things. So let's do movies. Yes,
0: absolutely. Uh, so, and by the way, this is the first time I think that it's a cause for a mini celebration where not a single question has come in with the word gunda. So, Very good. <laughs> very good to know. So, uh, Def8214 asks uh, about your thoughts on Tenet and uh, wants to know whether, uh, doesn't it feel like Nolan is stretching uh, credulity and uh, his obsession with time manipulation? Did you see the new trailer? I've seen the new trailer and I was hoping that at the end we see a sequence from Bobby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Back in time, Dimple becomes Bobby. That's that's the twist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the door opens and you know Dimple comes out and you know rubs that thing on her hair. That's it. That's the end of Tenet. No, again, I I'm not going to comment on Tenet without having seen it. Of course, I you know like most people, I'm a huge fanboy of uh, Nolan. Uh, but again, I I hope he hasn't become like a Ram Gopal Varma. I hope this isn't his Ram Gopal Varma movie um, where he where he steps into the abyss really and just becomes you know self indulgent to the extreme. Having said that, I did not like the trailers. He felt the trailers just said nothing. Um and it was not even intriguing. There was nothing in the trailer that made me feel intrigued in the way that Inception made me feel. Did you like um, the previous I, movie though? which one? Uh, the Dunkirk. Uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, I I like Dunkirk. Again, it was not a it was not a you know, a Nolan movie in the sense there was no no twist or there was nothing, no playing with time or space or anything. It was a sh- straight movie. I, of course, you know, on, on a big screen. You can in a movie like Dunkirk, if you watch it on a television, it's yeah, that's it's 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 it's, it's not a movie for it's not a movie for watching on your laptop or on your, or on on it's not that kind of a movie. So, again, like 1917, this is this is these are movies which are which are to be watched on enormously big screens. Um, again, it was, it, again, it, it's like, what do you go to see a movie for? I mean, uh, Dunkirk is essentially, it's not a story, right? Um, again, this is, right. we are, we are, you know, in Bengali, the, the word for a movie was, it, uh, was, uh, and I forgot the point I was to make. but it was basically the story. The story was the main thing, uh, they used to, it's not a galpo, but this say something uh, which was, uh, which basically meant the story. So again, a movie without a story is not a movie at all for most people. And I think if this, if, the, if anything, if any there was any twist in Dunkirk, was that this is a movie without any story, True. but it's, yes, it's purely but, exactly. But it's again, there's no twist again, you know how it's going to happen. But the whole thing is, you know, if you take out the story, I mean, what is cinema? Cinema is is a montage of uh, visuals that are supposed to elicit an emotional response from you. So one way of doing it is with the story. But, you know, if I could think like Nolan, he's saying that the story is a crutch. I mean, if instead of Inception, instead of me directing the movie, if let's say I had written a novel with the exact same story, maybe you would have been as impressed by it. Maybe it doesn't matter if I made it into a movie. Maybe it's just a great story. I could just take the screenplay, make it into a book and put it in your hands and you would say, this is a way better product. I love this. This is a classic. In that sense, what value am I adding as a director? So what he's trying to do in Dunker and other directors have done this is screw that story. I will try to elicit an emotional response from you purely through that visual montage that is a movie. Take the, you know, the first movie that was ever shown was basically a, you know, a train rolling into a station. That was the first movie that was ever made. Right? Here, no story at all. But I'm pretty sure people who saw that had their socks knocked off because of their technology. So I think you know with a movie like Dunkirk, which does elicit an emotional response, at least in me, again, the place where I watch it, I, um, um, it does. So I would say that is, that is a testament to good direction. If I ranked um, great Nolan movies, would I want to watch it again? Possibly not. Because ultimately it is the story really that for me, that leaves a lasting impression. But if you, if I'm going to something which I haven't seen before for three, three hours, yeah, definitely Dunkirk is, is worth the price of admission, but might not be worth the price of the DVD.
0: All right. Do you want to take just one more Uh, Before we uh, wrap up, this one seems uh, uh, interesting. Hello, Arnab, you're there? Yeah, go on. Yes. There is this one on US politics. I just thought, you know, since we have not touched on that. amit ninety thirty asks, do you think Bernie would have been a good choice uh, today with universal healthcare? And do you think Biden would be able to attract Bernie followers? the
1: problem with bernie is bernie is just not um, again i but bernie works both ways see the thing with bernie is i would i would be stupid if i said that you know, bernie is is definitely a worse candidate than joe biden but the us elections as they are you know it it ultimately you cannot there's one thing is on winning the war on social media, which Bernie would definitely win. But there's also this the war of actually winning an election. In order to win an election, you cannot be in a in a country like US, be in favor of dismantling the capitalist system. That that you know getting you know Biden is not an exciting ca- candidate at all, but. Um, unlike Hillary Hillary was was not just not an exciting candidate she had the amount of baggage uh, that nobody could have uh, I mean as I had said many times the only person who Trump could have beaten was her and they just put her on the top of the ticket so maybe Bernie for uh, Bernie part one against Trump might have been better but Bernie part two the Bernie that has that has metamorphosed in 2020 which is an even more left leaning more extreme more radical version of the 2016 bernie i mean the 2016 bernie again the reason why more by bernie is more uh, left wing or progressive or more extreme is that in the age of trump um, i mean he's a massive centrifuge in 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 i mean he's physically in in, in, a, in a, In terms of his impact, a massive centrifuge. In order for you to appeal against Trump, you have to be as radically on the other side as Trump. There is is no other middle ground the problem with the problem with uh, trump and bernie is that both of them are trying to win i mean even their supporters they try to win wars on social media so you know of course in social media you don't have you know even yang andrew yang had a great social media following what where did that lead him to you know it's 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 tempting to uh, overestimate social media cloud for actual politics actual politics ultimately the kind of people that um Biden will turn out are people that Bernie just won't be able to turn out in some of the swing states. They just will not vote for Bernie. I mean, people who think of Michigan, we, we don't understand this, but you know, many in India, but the the kind of, you know, cow vigilantism that Indian urbanites cannot understand why is cow such an emotional issue, take the cow and replace it with gun. There is an entire section of the U S in Michigan, Pennsylvania, who feel exactly what people feel for cow in India, they feel for guns, okay, they're always afraid that somebody is coming to take their guns. Even Bernie Sanders, actually, if you look at progressives, that's his his record on gun control is actually pretty bad. He's actually very, very, and you know why? Because he, he in Connecticut, Connecticut actually has a strong rural population, which actually is the American version of gobhakt so even he doesn't have a particularly like. If you look at, for instance, an Amy Klobuchar or you know even those people because they work for the Heartland. It's it's the, it's the East Coast elite can say whatever they want on guns, but ultimately, and and Biden by the way does have a problem with guns, so he he has actually been. But even then, the great thing about Biden is again he's he's a person who's basically stood for nothing in his life. He. He sways the way the wind blows, which makes him very a politician who you don't really want to support, but he is the kind of person who can beat Trump because ultimately the thing is Trump will have there are some things which you cannot take away from Trump. You cannot take away from Trump his absolute bucks those bucks they will vote for him even if every last person in America is dead because of his policies. They will still vote for him they don't they don't give a flying f as to what he does he. He reflects their worldview. He will get their vote. He reflects what they believe a man should be. And it's almost like, you know, it's almost like the kind of feeling the heroine has for uh, Imran Hashmi in a movie. You know, it's like they, they want to jump on him <laughs> and just put their face into his hairless <laughs> chest. You know, this that, that kind of thing. It's, it's 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 a crazy kind of junoon. And imagine me saying this in a himage voice. So that's really the kind of love that they have for Trump. So again, the thing is, Bernie also has that kind of love, but it is nowhere close to that kind of love that Trump is lucky to have um, among a very small section of population, which unfortunately for the Democrats just happened to be in the states that, that they need to win. It's not California or it's not in New York. I mean, there it doesn't matter. So ultimately, I feel that, between Joe and uh, and Biden, Joe is the better candidate. Now, having said that, COVID has the problem with COVID is that COVID has see Biden can't campaign right now, and Biden's uh, social media game is 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 non-existent. So Trump is a social media guy. He he totally understands what social media is. So if the campaign is done over social media, then Trump does have an advantage. But again, you can say that ultimately, the you know Trump's vote share is—he's going to get a certain number of votes. Doesn't matter what he does. It's the other person who has to worry about losing votes and, and whether the the, the latest uh, scandal about uh, sexual harassment uh, of the the accusations that have come forth against Biden, though they haven't, you know, of course, that they haven't been established. But will those harm Biden? Because those can harm Biden. You know, the, the accusations are serious enough that if they are corroborated or if, or if the Republicans will definitely try to, as the election, as we move from a COVID to a more campaigning, the, the more things are bound to come up. Will those affect Biden is to be seen. Because yes, Biden support base can be lost if those accusations are deemed to be credible. If those accusations had come up against Trump, there would be no problem with him. Nobody who is in any case voting for Trump would be affected by that.
0: Right. Is that? uh, I think uh, we'll we'll draw a line here and probably take the rest of the questions in the next episode. If that's all right. Yes. So uh, that's our podcast for today. And uh, like I said, we were not able to cover all the questions that came in, and uh, Arun, there are still a few coming in right now. So we'll definitely have to uh, cover them in an uh, upcoming episode. And before we go, of course, I just want to give another reminder to donate to the cyclone relief. through whatever channel you can, like Arda mentioned, and uh, as this horrible, horrible year continues, just stay safe and uh, take care.
1: Okay, everybody, have a nice uh, weekend. Uh, it's a long weekend over here.
0: Wherever you have, have a nice weekend and you know, stay safe.